0: welcome back to life north of the 54th i'm Garrett brown and i am preston brown and we're happy to have with us today ronald sanford and we'll have him introduce himself for us
1: cool uh, my name is ron stanford i spent a few years up in peace country and uh, then left for a little while and came back i'm the second oldest of five children my parents have lived in the Peace Country for about 30, well, actually over 30 years now, probably pushing 40 years now. I really enjoyed my time in the Peace Country and was up there for four years during high school. My parents moved up there. My dad took a job at uh, Fairview College, one of the more northern colleges, I guess, in the province. He um, moved us up there, like I said, when I was in uh, grade nine. I spent four years up there in the Peace Country uh, schooling and and whatnot. And when when I graduated high school, I had to, I had to get out of the peace country and move south because I was more used to the big cities. And uh, uh, I really enjoyed, but I really enjoyed the time I spent up there. So where did you grow up before you moved to the peace country, before your dad took that job? Oh, I mostly spent most of my time down in the Edmonton and central Alberta area. My dad was kind of with the uh, Alberta government for my early uh, years. And we bounced around in uh, Edmonton Red Deer. He worked for some of the uh, hospitals here in the province. And he decided he wanted to take a job in teaching because he really enjoyed teaching. And so he moved to Fairview College and uh, was working in the business program and later became the coordinator for the business program up there in Fairview College. And uh, he really enjoyed the different programs that he was teaching out of. I know that Fairview College offers the only Harley-Davidson program, I believe, in Western Canada. And it was a big draw for anyone who's into motorcycles and wanted to learn how to work on motorcycles. And that was uh, – well, they also had the business program. I think my dad taught – if I remember correctly, my dad was teaching the guys in the Harley program, some of the business programs, stuff that they would have to know, some of the other courses that they were they were taking. But I think he had one or two of the courses they, they taught. But that's why he moved us to the peace country.
2: That's pretty cool. I did not know that there was a Harley-Davidson course up there in Pippie. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 I guess I'm also not a motorcycle person, so <laughs> –
1: You're not a motorcycle person. Yeah, no fair. Well, neither am I. (laughs) But found that out after the fact we got up there that they had the only program, I believe, in Western Canada is what what the program is. And it's widely supported by Harley-Davidson. Anyone who takes that uh, course uh, will easily find uh, work and employment in the motorcycle industry because it's, I guess, the best program that's around. Yeah. And I think it's the
0: only motorcycle mechanic program in the whole province of Alberta, too.
1: I believe so it is. Yeah. So,
2: did you go to high school in Fairview then?
1: Uh, yeah, I spent uh, the four years I spent up in high school. It was uh, FHS, a um, Fairview High School. <laughs> yeah. a blank on the name. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bit a few years since I graduated, <laughs> so uh, it's probably just two or three, uh, right, Ron? <laughs> just yeah a few more than that. That is zero on <laughs> the back. But, but yeah, it was a great little town. I think to grow up in, it was fun. The fact that. Well, because the high school was so small, if you tried out for any kind of sports team, you pretty much made the team. I guess that was probably one of my earliest memories of the Peace Countries traveling around to just their basketball team and playing different tournaments and different communities up there in the north. I guess that's why I kind of love the north. The fact that you could drive for miles and never run across a person. But of course, when you met anyone, you pretty much knew who they were because it was a small community. So you got to know everyone in town. Yeah got me out a few speeding tickets because I happen to know some of the RCMP in town. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Ref basketball, a few of them. So made for a very interesting time and they knew who you were and what you were up to. So you couldn't get away with much in town, but when you knew them, they're a little more lenient about what you're up to, I guess.
2: Yeah. So where did you go after high school then? You, you said you wanted to go back to the city.
1: Uh, yeah. I moved down to Calgary and lived, uh, uh, well, I first moved out of Calgary and lived with one of my uncles, uh, for my mom's youngest brother, for, for a few months, just so I got my feet on the ground, found employment, and started working. Then I moved in with roommates for a bit, and I eventually wound up moving in with my future brother-in-law as a roommate for about eight months before I came back to Fairview to take a year of uh, business college uh, and study uh, business. And then after my year of college, I went on a mission for our church, I went to uh, Denver, Colorado. Uh, served for two years down there. Then I came back briefly to the peace country before moving back to Calgary to, again, find employment. Started working for Costco, which I'm sure many people are fully aware of Costco. (laughs) Costco took me out to BC when they opened a new warehouse out to Abbotsford, where, uh, again, living with roommate was uh, working and just went to Churchfield there, exploring the lower mainland of BC. I eventually met my wife out in BC and after we got married, we decided B.C. was not the place we wanted to raise a family. So, And just the expense of living out in B.C. was just too much at the time. So we wound up moving back to Calgary. But Calgary was not going to be long-term for us. We eventually moved down to Lethbridge for a little bit, then back to Calgary for a couple of years. And then we eventually came back to the peace country in 2005, uh, where I was working in audiology at that point in time. I had left Costco and uh, moved on to a different career path.
2: Yeah, I really wanted to ask you about this, how you ended up in audiology. It's, I mean, yeah, not really something that when you ask kids or teenagers what they want to do when they grow up that they, they
1: oh yeah, I definitely want to be an audiologist. I want to test people's hearing for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting enough, before I got married and lived out in BC, I had a very good mission friend that lived down in Seattle or the Seattle area. He actually lived up in, uh, I will say, Everett, Washington is where I believe it was at the time. I call it Sale because is kind of one big, massive area. Yes, But I was going down actually for an ACDC concert. They were touring again, and he was a great big concert kid. Loved going to concerts. You name the band, he's probably seen it multiple times. Anyway, he called me up, and I was living out in BC at the time, and he goes, hey, is touring, let's go to the concert. And I said, fine, let's do it. So I went down uh, one weekend to uh, go to the concert with him, and his dad actually was an audiologist. And before we head out to the concert, he turns to me and says, hey, do you want a set of earplugs for the concert? I looked at him and said, earplugs? Why well, do I want earplugs for a concert for not thinking about it? I was young and dumb at the time. And uh, he goes, well, I'll make you a quick set anyway. So we actually did ear impressions on me, and we made me a custom set of earplugs. And off we went to the concert. I got back, and his dad and I got talking the next day. And his dad actually mentioned to me, said, you should actually look into audiology because you might actually enjoy it. Didn't really think much of it, but didn't think much of it, I guess, that weekend. But when I got back to Abbotsford, it was where I was living at the time, I started to think a little bit about it, kind of looking into it a little bit. And I thought, yeah, schooling as an audiologist is going to take way too much of my time. I'm not into that. But after myself and had moved back to Calgary, I ran across a program called the Hearing Aid Practitioner Program and was offered out at of Grant McEwan. And then I looked into that program and it wound up only being a two-year program. You basically do the exact same job as an audiologist, just the difference in degrees is they have a bit bigger degree. But I uh, looked into it, decided I wanted to get into it, and wound up moving to Lethbridge, working in a clinic that my wife's aunt was actually working in as a receptionist. I got to know the two gentlemen there. They brought me on. I did all my training down in Lethbridge and the rest, I guess, is kind of history in a way. It's, well, I was still working for Costco at the time as I was going to school just so I could pay the bills and make ends meet and everything else right. uh, with a young family. And when I got done the practitioner program, Costco had just been, they'd been opening up hearing centers just kind of here and there, kind of quietly. They weren't really big into it just quite yet. But when I got finished the program, they actually asked me if I'd go back to Calgary and work in one of their hearing centers. Wow. So I wanted up going back to Calgary. It wasn't long after going back to Calgary that I realized that I needed to probably look outside of Costco because Costco was not really the place I wanted to be actually dispensing hearing aids from. I got really interested in the medical side of it and learning more on the medical side, which is actually what brought me back to the peace country is because I found a position up in Grand Prairie where I'd be working directly in line with an audiologist who had more of the medical side of the industry rather than the, uh, just the fitting of the hearing aids. And so moving up to Grand Prairie is more of a step for me in the fact that it's going to learn more the medical part of the industry rather than just the fitting of hearing aids.
2: If I understand this correctly, this is people would get prescriptions for a hearing aid or some kind of referral for a hearing aid, and then they would go to Costco and just get it fit?
1: More or less. Well, Costco would be doing the testing and the fitting as well. Okay. But it wasn't on the medical side. Like medical side is more of a specialty part of it. As a practitioner, you touch on the fact that you'll have certain problems with people's hearing that you need to refer back to their family doctor for. But that wasn't really, I was more or less kind of learning like why we do the testing and everything else. Like I didn't really have the full background about, I understood why we did the testing and, and certain things along that line, but didn't really understand like the more the medical side of things, like the problems that would develop from conditions that people would have. Okay. That's where the audiology came into play where I kind of got learn more about, I guess the pathology of the problems that people were having. Mm-hmm it's when I was a practitioner, learn it as much in school as learning it more on the job type of thing. And I guess I felt working for cost as more or less selling hearing. aids, not actually doing the medical side of things. And so when I got out, and was working with an audiologist. I kind of learned more of the medical side of things. And since then it's actually developed more into, I've, I've worked with ear, ear, nose and throat specialists over the last number of years where I've even learned more of the medical side of things. Again, the different pathologies, uh, how how the hearing is functioning, and not all problems can be fixed with hearing aids when it comes to hearing disorders. Right. and I guess that's why I became more interested in getting outside of Costco. is more or less, they are just more specialized in, hey, you need a hearing aid, we'll fit you with the cheap hearing aid type of thing, get better pricing on stuff like that, but you don't really learn the ins and the outs of the whys behind things.
2: Yeah, no, that's really fascinating, yeah.
1: I just hope that makes sense the way I'm, I'm putting it there. It's why I wanted to learn more about the why behind things as to why we just do certain things.
2: Preston, do you have any questions? I have some more about audiology.
0: No, not right now. You better ask your question, Garrett. Sure.
2: My question is actually more of an observation, I guess. Okay. But it's kind of fascinating that this friend of yours who was a child of an audiologist was a huge fan of concerts, I've, yeah. <laughs> Like, which is you know typically known for damaging your hearing. But he would just go and enjoy them with earplugs. Chris would never
1: wear earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> so dad was teaching him, saying, hey, you should protect your ears. In your 20s, like, realistically, we're we're all young and dumb at some point in time. Yeah, yeah. Interesting enough, my good buddy, he actually needs hearing aids. And he was back up here visiting this March of last year. And because I have my own business again, I grabbed him over to the office. We did a test on his hearing. We threw him in a pair of demo hearing aids we had and actually let him wear them and see what it's like to experience what he should be at hearing. And we were out to a restaurant, and he was the only one out of four of us at the table who heard properly in the restaurant. He was sitting back, relaxing in his chair the whole time, thinking it was way cool because he was hearing everything that was going on at the table. And we were sitting up on our elbows trying to hear everyone talk at the table. But he was sitting back, relaxing, just because of the way the amplification works these days. And even the hearing loss, he was the one who was hearing properly.
2: Yeah, it, it makes a little bit more sense that uh, maybe I'm just reading too much, but you know, like Teenage Rebellion, I don't want to do what my dad says, even though my dad's right.
1: Well, all teenagers just have that attitude, right? Like, I know more, I know this, I know that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And you're you're cutting your teeth, you're kind of exploring and whatnot. But listening to sometimes the ones who know better is not what you want to do.
2: No. And I guess you've had personal experience with teenagers now too, at some point, right? I have not yet. Uh, yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yes, I have some young adults in the house and some teenagers. And one of our mission presidents, we changed mission presents right near the end of my mission. And my second mission president was the dean of psychology out of BYU. And in the closing interview with one of my good friends from the mission, he said, You know, I thought I understood psychology when he came out to this into the mission field, but he says there is no rhyme or reason to a 19 to 21 year old male. Yeah. yeah. So psychology just goes right out the window.
2: That's a really fascinating journey, it's moving a lot of times uh, north and south. Well, I mean, yep. if, if Calgary's north, but, you know, back and forth <laughs> <laughs> in Alberta. Yep. Um, yeah. So, like, we were living in Grand Prairie or just outside Grand Prairie, and you guys moved, as you said, in 2005, and that's when we started becoming friends with you guys. Yes, it is. So, how long were you in Grand Prairie for?
1: Uh, we were in Grand Prairie about 10 years. I took a position with a guy who owned a business up at Grand Prairie. It was a kind of a scary step because we went away from what we knew of in Costco with all full benefits, with everything you needed for a family, to the unknown of working for a small company, no benefits, and a way different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. We'd only lived in bigger centers where there was lots to do, lots of activities for kids, if you will. Not that Grand Prairie doesn't have activities for kids, but it's a different lifestyle up there. It was definitely going to be a change. Yeah, my wife always jokes that the roads only go south at of Grand Prairie because nobody really wants to come to visit you because you're so far north. But in reality, Grand Prairie is not that far north when you think about it.
2: Yeah, and your parents were still living farther north in Fairview at the time.
1: Yeah, my parents still live Well, my parents are still in Fairview to this day. They've been up there for so long; it's just the community's just grown on them. My dad's been around. My dad served on town council. He worked at the college until the programs got downsized. When I believe it was was it Nate or Grand Prairie Regional College took over. They've been up there for years, and they've just got themselves entrenched in the community and the lifestyle and everything else. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a beautiful place to go visit. Beautiful place to raise kids. I learned to drive up there, which is great because bigger cities would. Back then, I'm sure big cities scared me, but you to drive up there, and you had to drive differently because you had more or less watched for animals on the road, not people on the road. It was just a different lifestyle. Definitely a lot more laid-back lifestyle. Let's go that route.
0: So, Ron, activities. Did you get into living in Grand Prairie for recreation?
1: I tried to convince my wife to get quads and snowmobiles and stuff like that, but she was not really going to have that too much. I would have liked to have done more of that, but I just wasn't in the cards for when we were up there. Young family, young kids. It was very, very hard, and we were not going to go into uh, big debt to buy toys, if you would. Yeah, I know many people there do get into big toys and and lots of them, but uh, was, we were not going to be able to do that. I guess we're still kind of paying off some student bills and student debt and stuff when we first moved up there, but it was for a lifestyle change because in the city. I was never around because working. I was managing one of the hearing centers for Costco at the time. And it was just a busy, busy lifestyle where as a manager, you didn't have a lot of free time, if you will. And you'd put in a lot more than just a 40-hour work week. They expected you to be there a lot longer because you're making more money, but it was not the lifestyle that we really wanted to be. And so when this position came up in Grand Prairie, I was going to be home every night by a certain time. It was going to be a more relaxed lifestyle rather than the hustle and bustle of the city. So that's what we kind of moved up there for. So they could spend more time with their kids and stuff like that. It wasn't that we would change much in when it came to financial, but it was just going to be a different lifestyle. Indeed.
2: Did you have intentions to move up to Grand Prairie for a short period of time? Or did you and your family have the
1: idea to make a long-term commitment? Well, we were up there for 10 years, but I guess the We started looking at actually leaving out a very short, we'd been up there about two years and I'd been in the hearing industry long enough that I decided this is what I want to be doing long term. And I started looking actually into the interior of BC for potentials of opening up my own business. And then the guy I was working for at the time kind of caught wind of it because I was talking to one of our manufacturers. The hearing industry is actually a very interesting industry because banks don't like lending you money because they don't feel you're a wise investment, but manufacturers of the product will lend you money on a lot better interest rates than the banks would because they want you to be selling their product. Mm. That makes sense. So I'd talked to one of the manufacturers about the potential of going out on my own and what it would look like from their perspective, how they would help me and, and how I could benefit them. And the one of the manufacturers I'd spoken with, our sales rep at the time, is a very good friend of the guy I worked for. And I'm sure she put the bug in his ear to the fact that I was potentially looking at this. And when I went up there to work with the gentleman, I grew the business very, very quickly with him, where he realized that I was more of an asset. And he realized that if he lost me, how much more work he was going to have to do even to kind of keep up to where he was at. And so instead of losing me, he brought me on as a partner with him up in Grand Prairie. And so we actually stayed in Grand Prairie longer than what we were actually Well, we hadn't really planned on a time, but longer up in Grand Prairie than we thought we would be up there, just by the pure and simple fact that we bought into a business in the peace country.
2: Yeah, that's kind of amazing. Do you feel like that was a good move?
1: It was definitely a good move on my part because I looked at the business as a forced savings plan. We had bought in, we knew that eventually that we'd probably sell and move at some point in time in our life, but we weren't really sure when. But I looked at it and said, you know. Owning a business is there as an asset, and you treat it as an asset. That it would be a forced savings plan for us that would build equity in the company, have money that when we did decide to do something else, we would have money built up that we could do this with. Right. Well, a few years after I bought into the business up in Grand Prairie, there's a big shift in the hearing industry as a whole that we started going away from privately owned businesses to manufacturer owned businesses. Manufacturers realized Mm -hmm. that if they wanted to keep their name in the game, if you will, they had to start buying clinics, and so that people would not be swaying back and forth who they would dispense product for. Because as a private business, we would change manufacturers periodically just because of problems that you might have with one, or something happened where they had a bad product. In any industry, you know, you have there's a flaws in every industry that's out there, whether it be auto manufacturing or whatever. That you get a lemon every now and again. And same thing with hearing is that every now and again, you get a bad product comes out in the market. And if you only dispense one manufacturer, well, they come out with the lemon all of a sudden, and you're going to do with the lemonade that comes after that. So we were dealing with a couple of manufacturers and they made an offer to potentially buy us out. We looked at it. My partner at the time had a very bad back, had to go in for some surgery. He was going to be out for six months to a year. And so when he made us an offer to buy our business, we jumped at it and sold the business. And it was a very profitable decision on my part when I did buy-in because we made out very well. I looked at it and said, that probably put us about 10 years further financially ahead than if we would have held on to the business and worked for 10 years.
2: Yeah, that's a great opportunity.
1: Yeah, and we stayed on and worked for them for a few years afterwards. But the time came where I looked at it and said, okay, enough's enough. I can't deal with corporate. I have to get out on my own. (laughs) I get the fact that big business is... Mm -hmm. What's the right word for it? It's interesting to say the least when you're dealing with people's different views behind things and how they view things and and what they think should work and what does not doesn't work. But big businesses was not where I wanted to stay. It uh, never was. It's one of those things that when I look at it, I'm going, I see why they're doing what they're doing, but that's not for me.
2: Yeah, I can also imagine the motivation for a business like a manufacturing business To try and own the part of the business all the way up to the customer, they're necessarily going to make different decisions in what they want done in that like last line in front of the customer than you would because they have different motivations than you as the manufacturer.
1: Oh, totally. We'll even look at what they're currently doing when it comes to advertising and stuff like that. They have a different viewpoint on it. They're using celebrities to promote products they get away from the mom and pop shops. We can offer you more because we're across Canada. We're into the United States. We can give you more than the mom and pop shops, but you really lose out on the service. And I know a lot of people complain to us about the price of hearing aids and how cost was so much cheaper. Well, you really have to look at the service model behind things. It's like, you're not just buying a product. You're actually buying the service behind the product as well. You think of warranties when you buy a vehicle or you buy another product, you think about the warranties that go behind that. Yes, there's a warranty, but there's also the service plan behind it. As there is maintenance when it comes to hearing aids, and that maintenance has to be dealt with either by yourself or by somebody else. And do you want to pay every time you walk into a hearing clinic? Every time you walk in, you got to pay a certain fee, just to have something maintained. Well, some places say yes, some places say no. I'm of the viewpoint that yeah, I charge you a fair price up front, but I'm still maintaining that product for the number of years for you that so you don't have to worry about it. It's kind of like you buy that worry-free maintenance plan at the dealerships so that you can take your vehicle in, have it maintained, and not be dinged every time you walk in the door. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That, that's really fascinating. I really appreciate that, that. Not have the that kind of insight to something so
1: important as hearing. Yeah. Well, fair enough. <laughs> you know, one thing I really loved about the piece and working up the piece is we actually traveled, not just from Grant. Well, we had our office in Grand Prairie, but we traveled up to 17 smaller communities around the peace country uh, we went as far north as high level high level peace river manning fairview beaver lodge fort st john dawson creek valley view and all the way down to grand Cache. and so we spent our time not just in grand prairie but all over the peace country and i love my drives i love just going for the the car ride a couple times a month or out to these different locations split between three of us so we weren't we each had about five clinics we've traveled out to. But just seeing the, the country and the beauty of the place up there, you have a completely different mindset when you work up there and live up there than you do in the city. So, yeah, I just love the yeah.
2: And Do you want to elaborate more on that with us? Not so much in terms of the business of going up there, okay. but just some of your favorite moments or any stories that you want to share about the drive? Because inevitably, if you drive that many hours, something's
1: going to happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love driving up there. The fact that when well, you see the different seasons changing, like every year, it was just, you're always doing something different. Well, you mentioned the drives, like I got to drive to Fairview. And one of the most beautiful drives you'll probably ever take is, is fall, going through the Dunvegan Bridge. When you drop the River Valley, you have the oranges, the yellows, the, still the green in there as well. Just the beauty of nature as a whole. It's just beautiful. If you love traveling, if you love driving, the fact that you could drive for hours up there and the roads were, it seemed like endless at times, just because you could just, you get, I guess because I drove them so often, I kind of became a little bit, I don't want to say numb to the situation, but you become numb to the beauty at times, but I do miss that. But I were, just the first few years I was up there, just I just marveled at how beautiful the country was. I remember uh, leaving one morning early, early winter, and I was just, I'd left her house. I was driving down a back road to get out to one of the main highways and just passing the amount of deer or elk that were down around the city of Grand Prairie. I actually drove through a, a herd of deer that were crossing in the road, and I don't know how I did not hit any of them, but I somehow missed every single animal I had. I saw a deer with antlers standing right in front of me, and all of a sudden, he just disappeared. But just the way I swerved through them, not sure how I made it through, but it was just incredible because when I look back, you can kind of sort of see the animals, just as the sun was starting to just barely come up, dark enough that it was not great visibility yet. But anyway, just the amount of animals that were crossing the road at the time, I wondered how I missed them all. Yeah, that's astonishing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It also made me appreciate uh, driving a bigger vehicle and why you drive bigger vehicles is up there is... People always say, well, there's so many trucks up north. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of trucks up north, but people think it's all before work. Yeah, a good part of it's going to be for work, but you also drive the bigger vehicle because if something happens, you want a bigger vehicle, you want to be in something bigger that you know you're going to be able to walk away from it. Yeah, when you hit a moose,
2: the moose is not going to land on your
1: windshield. It's just going to hit your...
0: Yeah, a moose in a sedan is fatal.
1: You know, I remember a story I don't even here in Edmonton. I believe a lady was driving on the Anthony Handy and she ran up on a moose or something. I believe I killed her, and this was just not too many years ago here in Edmonton. I'm thinking, you know, if you're a bigger vehicle, that probably would have totaled the vehicle, but you probably would have walked away from it with minor injuries. That's, I don't know, just one of the interesting stories I came up there. The different stories about the wildlife, like I've seen bear, moose, elk, deer, bobcats. There's a lot of different animals up north that just because you drive so much, you just see so many different animals by the roads and stuff. Actually, another story I have about wintertime is the way they plow their roads up there. I guess they call it a wingback, where they plow the snow off the road, but they kind of push it into the ditch a little bit. So you kind of got these wings that kind of stick out of the ditches. Yep. And I was traveling north of Peace River up towards Manning. And the road has a little bit of a funny split where the road divides for maybe not even two kilometers. But I was driving up this way, and these two moose were fighting in the middle of the road. And they had their antlers locked together. And as I drove up, I could see them and probably about less than 25 yards before I was passing them, they broke free of each other. One turn and ran back towards me. And the size of this animal had to be driving a Ford Expedition at the time. And so it was actually a fairly decent sized vehicle. But this moose ran back down beside my vehicle and his head and antlers were above my window on my truck. (laughs) And I thought, oh my gosh. How big are these things but they <laughs> were that close and this was the one that passed me the other one i think was even bigger than that one but he ran off in the different directions but these two moose got locked in this area with his wing back and they couldn't get over top of the ditches because the wing back was so high and they had to basically find another way out but i guess they kind of ran across each other and who knows what they were doing or why they wanted to lock antlers, but it was just funny watching these two big moose after they broke apart and they went two different directions. Not sure how they got off the road, but the eventually sure did. I've seen bear on the road where in the summertime when driving up to high level one time where a bear was actually climbing a telephone pole. I was way up the telephone pole. <laughs> but whatever. I think my neatest experience, though, is, is driving through the peace country is running across two bobcats probably less than 100 feet apart it was just an open stretch of road. The trees had to be a little bit lower at th- this section. It was in the winter time again, uh, and they were just off the road, maybe thirty, forty feet, not far enough into the bush yet, but just before the bush line where you could actually see them. And I know the bobcats are pretty loner animals, and so seeing two that close together was actually pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah.
2: Did you go to South to Grand Cache often to see the different seasons in Grand Cache?
1: Not Grand Cache. I went down to Grand Cache for. Oh, it was only a couple of years I was driving to and from Grand Cache. Grand Cache was not one of the areas I went to until we had so, actually sold the business to a manufacturer. We'd had another practitioner working with us. who when she left, I took over to the areas that she was going to. And Grand Cache was her route at the time. But I was driving to Grand Cache about four years. I actually the Grand Cache earlier than that. But anyway, I think the scariest thing about Grand Cache is just because you're kind of in the mountains and stuff like that, and driving up to grand cash, you kind of go up that big, long hill out of the river valley again. It's a little bit of a scary drive in the wintertime.
2: It definitely is, yeah.
1: But it's a beautiful area again to drive that area. I guess I didn't pay as close attention to the change of the seasons going that road because I was more concerned about the road in the winter time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of oil traffic on that road as well, or just traffic in general, gas, oil field business going down that road. So there's a lot more traffic going that way than it was going north. So I had to pay more attention to the road rather than the scenery. Yeah. I see many logging trucks or just the big water hauling trucks or whatever truck was on the road. I just remember seeing a lot. But that was probably the road. I, actually, that was the road I saw my first ever vehicle hit a moose. And, and just see what kind of damage a moose can do to a vehicle. That was probably one of the scarier days of my life when I saw that happen. So, I remember driving south
2: a few times towards Grand Cache and I would pass by the mill there, the lumber mill. Okay, yep. Yeah. You would just see the sign on the side of the road that said, you know, logging trucks turning, logs may swing into your lane. And I saw that many times, more often than I ever saw logging trucks turning. <laughs> and then one time I was actually behind a logging truck and it turned, and I saw the logs swing into my lane, and I was like, oh, that's what they mean. They mean, don't try and pass it because it's, you're
0: going to hit the logs. Oh, totally. You had a bit of an aha moment.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: As your life flashed before your eyes. <laughs> yep. Yes. Seeing those logs to get the back of trucks, and there's many a time where the guy's not tagged the back of those trucks properly.
2: I also wanted to ask about your driving. Did you leave or drive in the dark a lot? Did you see any of the Northern Lights while you were driving?
1: Oh, love the Northern Lights. The Northern Lights are one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. Further north you go, the more colorful they get. Down here in Edmonton, you might see the uh, northern light here and there, but it's a very, very faint color. The further north you go, the greener they get, the darker they get, the more colors that you'll see. You're just going to love the aurora borealis. Part of the reason why I still go up to high levels is because every now and again you get to see those northern lights, and it's just the dancing in the skies, just the beauty behind that, just incredible. One year we had come back when crystal's from Seattle. And we got in late, but we were able to watch the northern lights as we were driving into the city. And then we went onto our back deck, and we were able to watch again the lights dancing above us in the air. Like They're not as great in the city as they were outside, but the different colors and stuff, the different hues, you'd see at different times of the year if you're lucky enough to see them. So was this your back deck in Grand Prairie? Back deck in Grand Prairie. Like They weren't as great in the city because the lights of the city kind of dulled the lights in the sky. But into Grand Prairie, we could see the different colors and everything else. Funny enough, we came up through the Grand Cache that time because it's shorter for us to come through Grand Cache than driving further over and back up the normal way that we'd normally come up to get back home, usually, because we we're coming from the BC side of things. But we'd come up Grand Cache Road and then we were driving in late at night, I think it was about 11 30, 12 o'clock, close to the end of December, early January, I can't remember which. But just watching those lights dancing in front of us as we we're coming into town. And then because we lived at the south end of the city, when we got home, we just walked out the back deck and just watched in amazement at the beauty of the color of the lights. Just incredible. And then going up to high level, just how dark the greens were up there and just the colors and how, how bright it is and vibrant the colors were.
2: Yeah, one of my favorite memories of the Northern Lights was that I actually saw them on a summer's night. Oh, really? Yeah, which is much more rare because, you know, the summer nights are much shorter and brighter because the sun is still in sort of a twilight dip. But yeah, it was amazing to see them in the summer because I could be outside and thoroughly enjoy watching them instead of, you know, the dead of winter where you're like, well, I want to sit outside and enjoy these, but I think I should probably go back inside soon.
1: It's too cold for me to be out here. I'm going to go back (laughs) inside where it's warm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You were going to say the downside?
1: Oh, yeah, the downside of this summer is the fact that you just don't see them as often. It's it's hard to see them at that point in time. But yeah, and the wintertime, of course, depending on how cold it was, will depend on how long you spend outside watching the lights. So, but yeah, it was definitely the beauty of it all. I love the northern lights.
2: So my wife, Jessica, when she came up to Grand Prairie, actually after we stayed at your place in the Christmas of 2015, yeah, when we drove up from Edmonton to Grand Prairie that evening and night, was a spectacular display of Northern Lights. And she had never seen Northern Lights growing up, so she was very excited. Just watched them at all for hours, which it was, I mean, it's a long drive, and it was Christmas time, so it was essentially dark the whole time. We watched it for a while, and then we stopped outside of Grand Prairie, over by Byzantin, actually, and just took time to just watch them for a while. The Northern Lights are more or less on an 11-year cycle with the solar activity. So 2015 was a really good year. And then dips down the 2020s, not so great for Northern Lights. And so now coming up to 2025, it's going to be more activity again.
1: Oh, nice. I did not know that about the Northern Lights. It's interesting. Yeah,
2: they're pretty cool. That also means that if you're trying to plan to see them, it's more likely if you go in the better years.
1: Plan appropriately.
0: <laughs> yeah. So if I ever go to Iceland or Denmark, I should go in 2025, 26. Yeah, there's a YouTube traveling couple that my wife enjoys watching.
2: And they've been trying to see the Northern Lights for many years. And they decided that this year they were definitely going to see them. And the way that they were going to do it is they were just going to take a road trip up Norway as far north as they could, just slowly in their van. And they were sharing on
1: Instagram like last week that they finally saw them. <laughs> finally saw them. It's like, And you grew up in the north and be like, hey, this is more common than than you think. But always beautiful.
0: In regards to Northern Lights... I have seen them, remember seeing them August long weekend ones, which I was rather surprised because the daylight is not incredibly long. But seeing them in August and as late as May, considering you wouldn't really see them in June <laughs> at the peak of the summer solstice, right? You just couldn't.
1: No, June, that's the hard time during the summer times. The, the days are just so long up there. The chance of seeing them is so, so rare. During the summer months and stuff, spring, summer months.
0: Yeah. But I really love the long
1: daylight. Go play baseball or something till like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. You know, that was one thing I never really thought much about being a kid because we'd be outside playing. It'd be like 11, and you'd still be playing football or playing baseball or whatever. <laughs> Didn't think much of it growing up. But as an adult, it was like, holy crap, but you got to put kids to bed. This is, <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Black hole blinds in the kids' room. Okay what do you mean I have to go to bed? It's still light out. Yeah. Wait till the winter months come. Then he was saying the opposite. Yeah. So, but yeah, as an L that it was like, I appreciate the long summer days when you're driving back from a long day, it's still light out. Yeah. Now those are definitely fun times.
2: Yeah. It's definitely one of my favorite things about the North is the long summer days. Yeah. I was working on a night shift this summer when I was in undergrad and I was awake On the solstice, uh, June 21st. So I was working night shift. So it went over into June 21st. It was, you know, dim. It didn't really go dark, right? But it was dim that we had to have lights on to work. And then I saw the sunrise on the solstice. And then I went home and slept for eight hours. And then got up and went back to work. And the sun was still going strong. I had a number of hours of daylight left to work. And then I saw the sunset on the solstice. I do not recommend anybody try and outwork the sun in the northern summers. (laughs) Oh, those are long. Oil and gas tries to
0: outwork the sun. They definitely do it in the winter, though. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The winter makes up for it. The question I always ask myself, is like, is every winter, even as far north or south as Edmonton, is every winter worth the beautiful summer?
1: (laughs) And I argue myself about it. It's the further south you go, basically it's the same all year round. You have so much sunlight, so much darkness. There's not a whole heck of a lot of change. And, you know, sometimes that change is nice to have.
2: Do you want to tell us how you and your family felt leaving Grand Prairie and going to Edmonton
1: like in the 2015 time? I mean, your kids spent a lot of time growing up in Grand Prairie. There's still things that my kids love about the North. The things that they didn't like about the North was the traveling down to Edmonton or traveling out of the North it was probably the hardest thing for them. But like, they love the North for a lot of reasons. But now that they've been down here in Edmonton for the last eight years, it's definitely a change for them. They enjoy it. My son might wind up going, I don't know what he's going to plan on doing because he's getting into land reclamation. He's looking at it for schooling right now. Um, So he might wind up back up north doing that type of stuff. But he enjoyed the outdoorsy stuff more than not. As a kid, I enjoyed camping. As an adult, not so much. I like (laughs) to camp on my bed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I need comfort these days. I'm getting old. But I could possibly see him going back north, but I can't see my girls going back north. They enjoyed the long summer days, but they had more problems probably in the winter time when you had the long, cold winter days. But living on BC, I could tell you i prefer I'll think minus minus forty with the sun than whatever they have on B C and raining. <laughs> that is one thing to definitely take. Because there's nothing like a cold winter day where the sun is still shining and it still looks beautiful out and you have that blanket of snow. It's just beautiful to see. The few years I lived out in BC, I lived out in BC for three and a half years and it just rained all the time. And in snow, you still go out and do stuff. When it's raining, you just feel miserable. I don't know how people do it. They have shorter winter, they have more milder climates. None of them know how to drive out there when it snows though, so... (laughs) that's one thing you learn about driving up north is that you learn to drive on ice and how to how to maneuver your vehicle when it's snowing and ice and everything else so yeah there was a polar vortex cold snap here in toronto a
2: couple weeks ago and it dropped down to minus 30 ish it was mostly minus 25 in the city but it was a little windy but the next morning it was cold and snowing and everybody had basically just retreated indoors and I went out to get some some milk and eggs and it was so beautiful because it was so quiet because normally the city is just so loud with so much traffic and the the high rises and everything but to go outside and it being snowing so it's dampening the sound from the snow and nobody wants to be outside because it's still so cold that was so peaceful and amazing I wish I could have this all the time.
1: Yeah. How do you know if you're a true northern person? <laughs> Minus 40 and you can still wear short sleeves outside. Yeah. Thicker blood. Uh, you know, think of living up north, just be, you just become more resilient behind things. Things don't bother you nearly as much. The weather you look at and say, it's a fact of life. You got to deal with it. Uh, whereas down here, that's the other thing about the, living here, even in Edmonton, which is i don't know, a much smaller city than uh Toronto, but uh living here in Edmonton, like you can pretty much almost shut the city down if you have enough snow. Or even not have enough snow, you're still shut the city down. <laughs> Different
2: attitude of life, that's for sure. Yeah, but still the rain. Albertans have a harder time dealing with the rain. And I think maybe one of the other differences is again like the mud of the beach country. Like if it snows, if it's frozen, you can deal with it. But when it rains, you just can't deal with it.
1: No, definitely can't. That's why we have a certain businesses up there just for dealing with mud. <laughs> they do.
2: Oh yeah. Alberta in general, but in the north too, just the sunny days, even if it's you know, minus 40 outside, when it's sunny, it really makes a difference on your attitude and your demeanor when you get that ray of sunshine. And when it's rare to see because it doesn't come up until 10 o'clock, then it's even more exciting and invigorating to get the sunlight. Oh, yeah,
1: that's definitely for sure.
2: And related to that, I served my mission for the church in England, and I had never really understood why the Beatles song, Here Comes the Sun, was so popular until I lived in England. And it's like, oh, because the sun just is gone all winter. Just, it's just rain. <laughs> it's just rain and rain and clouds and rain and clouds. And then the spring comes and finally the sun comes back. And it's like, I understand why they're singing about the sun coming back because that seasonal depression is, is very real in the UK.
1: Oh, totally. You'd see people during, I know there's a few people up there that had sun lamps or whatever they're called for the winter months because the winter months, people get depressed. It's definitely harder lifestyle in the winter up there. But if, I guess it all depends on your outlook on life. Yep have more more, uh, negative attitude towards things, oh, it's this, so it's that, then you're going to have a hard time with it. But if you have more of a positive outlook, you're going to go through it just fine. I think about winter time is you have to stay busy, which is why people do it, is they stay busy even though it's cold out because they do it for their own mental health reasons. You need to have good friends and vehicles that run well and you go visit people. Yeah.
0: One of those things missing isn't very
1: helpful. (laughs) I find like I've worked outside
0: most of my life and especially when I was still living in Grand Prairie as a younger man, we worked outside almost all the time. But like, even if it's cold and you get outside and you're active, I find that really did help me psychologically and mentally as well. You know, even if the sun's only going to come up for six or seven hours, it's like, you get all of it. You're outside the whole time. So you get to see the sun come up and pick up your tools before
1: it goes down so you don't lose them.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: You know, minus 40 is not cold unless there's a wind blowing. Then it's cold. <laughs> I don't know. It's still cold, man. <laughs> it's still cold, but you don't feel it as much. Yep. And all the wind blows. And once the wind blows, then you feel it. That's what you're doing. Actually, minus 40 without a wind chill is actually probably better than a wet cold. You know, that's one thing about winters out in BC that I realized is that that wet cold goes right through and you get chilled to the bone. But the dry cold, you don't feel it nearly as much unless you have that wind. And once you have the wind, then then nothing feels warm. But anyway, I don't think you nearly as cold if in the dry cold as you do in the wet cold.
2: I used to hate the wind of Alberta because it's just always windy in Alberta, especially southern Alberta, but it's just very windy. And then you know, the wind with the cold, it just makes it so much worse. I used to hate it so much until I moved to Utah. And the Salt Lake Valley in Utah is known for its smog problems because the pollution just settles in in the mountains. It gets trapped. And it gets trapped because it doesn't blow away. There's just a lack of wind. And so the valley there in Utah would just get bad air, and then it would just sit there, and it wouldn't go anywhere. I actually began to miss the wind, and that was something that I never thought I would miss.
1: You know, you think about the air up north. I think it's a much fresher air when you further north you go, the fresher the air is, the less pollutants are in the air. You just feel better. Yeah, <laughs> it's because you're arguably in the largest forest on the planet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, yeah, the Great boreal forest that spans across
1: the whole northern part of the northern hemisphere. There you go. Well, you got to go down and check out the California redwoods too, because that's one pretty amazing forest too, though. Yeah, I agree. I do really love
2: visiting that area of California but I do not want to live there. I don't mind visiting it, but I don't want to live there.
1: I'll visit, but not live. If you could stay in that one little area, like I know we came down out of Grand Prairie one time to go down to California to visit my sister. We passed the Redwoods and just the air again, that's probably one of the best smelling airs, if you will, around other than up Northern Alberta. Anyway.
2: Well, I think we'll probably come close to ramping up, Ron. We really appreciate the chat we've had with you. You mentioned some little bit about how growing up in the peace country and living in the peace country, it develops a grit and resilience. Do you have any insight or, you know, words of wisdom that you would like to share with people about living in the North?
1: The only word of wisdom is, I guess, drive a big vehicle because you never know what you're going to run into.
2: (laughs) That's good advice.
1: And even down here in the city, like I watch people drive small vehicles down here in the city and you see people getting accidents all the time, but you know, I think the North just made me really appreciate the fact that if you drive a big vehicle, if she, if anything happens nine times out of 10, you're going to walk away unless you're running something bigger than you. And down here, I love driving my truck because I'm like, I look at people and go like, you're half my size. If I run over you, you lose. That's all there is to it. I know people criticize people who drive trucks, but I'm like, you know what? I think we have a better outlook on life because we're not scared. You have to drive with an attitude. I don't, I guess that's my only word of wisdom about that. (laughs) That's fine. The north also made me, I guess, really appreciate things more because I come down here to the city and people just have a very, it's a different attitude. In the north, like I mentioned earlier, that you rely on yourself more for things you do. You become more resilient down here in the city. They just, there's too many comfort features around. And, you know, I look at how even my kids have gotten a little more relaxed when it comes to the comfort features of, oh, we just pop over here and get that, or we can just do this because it's it's right here. Whereas in the north, you had to plan things a bit more because you had a longer drive. I know down here people think, oh, a 25-minute drive? thats That's horrible. I'm thinking, 25 minutes, that's nothing your time just it changes because in the north you realize that you're living in a a more uh, isolated lifestyle and driving is just something you do you appreciate things i think they i think people up north just people in the northern areas just appreciate things more even watching shows like uh, what is it life below zero where they just appreciate a more simplified lifestyle they don't need all i don't want to say the comforts they don't need all the the extras in life if you need all the extras in life, you look for others approval on things. And I think you have a a lot more of a dim of outlook on life. But I think those who've lived in the North who realize that there is more to life than being on your phone or running in the rat race. I think they just appreciate life more. I think you meet more people who are more salt of the earth rather than those who are taken up in what's the word for the lifestyle, the fast lane. Well, the fast lane. Yeah. You don't seek for other people's approval people in the north just you know what life is the way it is and i don't need other people's approvals for me to be a good person or to live a good life yeah I'm more down to earth i guess hopefully that is words of wisdom
2: yeah thank you for sharing
1: thank you Matt. so we'd like to thank all those who
2: listen to our show and if you would like to share feedback with us or write in a story for us to share you can email us at life north of the 54th at gmail.com or you can check us out online at peacecountrylife.ca. Thank you so much, Ron, for joining us. We really appreciate the time you've given and lots of insight and many things that I did not know before. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks. Good to talk to you guys. It's been a while. Thank you, Ron. So we'll see you around. Hopefully we'll be able to stop by and see you again. Okay, next time you are out, stop and say hi. Take care, Ron. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.